Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of new thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool, cause you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. Welcome to Getting Informed, a leftist lit podcast with a host, Colin Orton, he, him, his. And a mouse in his pocket, Al Gropey, she, hers. And with us, our illustrious guest, Shelby Sola. Woo! <laughs> oh, she, her, hers. <laughs> nice. Um, so we are beginning part two of our deeply awful discussion of a deeply awful book, A Generation of Sociopaths, How the Baby Boomers Betrayed America by Bruce Cannon Gibney. I mean, I think our discussion's not awful. It's really fun to shit on it. It's true. I think the content is what's awful. Yeah. Just, uh, welcome back. Today we're going to be discussing chapters three through five. Yes. So that's Vietnam and the Emerging Boomer Identity, uh, Empire of Self, and Science and Sentimentality. But before that, Gollum, I imagine you have a news. I do indeed. Uh, This week's news segment is going to be a little shorter, but a little weirder than last week's news. Um, So for reference, uh, this is recorded on November 20th. So we're on top of it. Just the way that recordings work, we're not. Yeah. Um, So in in global news, uh, this is from The Guardian. In a report to the UN seen by The Guardian, Christian Smith, the high representative for Bosnia and Herzegovina, said that if Serb separatists carry out their threat to recreate their own army, splitting the national armed forces in two, uh, more international peacekeepers would have to be sent in to stop the slide toward a new war. Essentially, Bosnia, uh, Serb separatists in Bosnia have become strong enough that the country is sliding toward another war slash ethnic mm. cleansing. Mm, no. Uh, like the one that happened 30 years ago now. So that's what we call really, really bad. Um, and uh, I listened to a fascinating uh, interview uh, on It Could Happen Here, where the interviewee talked about how apparently the Bosnian media sphere is super similar to the American one. Where basically, you know, uh, things are driven by engagement. And what what content gets the most engagement? Rage. Mm. And so a lot of like right wing media outlets are like stoking racial hatred in an effort to like gain relevance. Mm. Um, And uh, yeah. Uh, Oh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Nazis marched in the street of in the streets of Poland. Uh, as part of the, yeah, there's a large Polish Nazi party that is also gaining, uh, strength right now. Uh, mm, Fuck. Shit. Fuck. I wonder what role Facebook plays in all of this. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Um, also according to some, uh, data analysis by Kat McKelvey, uh, of Portland, Essentially, a linear, uh, this is from a tweet, a linear regression of nearly six years data of on monthly police officer staff levels and crime levels in Portland show no correlation between the number of police officers and levels of crime. Adding officers to the force does not affect crime. 
Yep. Uh, Could have told you that much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, last, I believe it was last September or November, uh, a QAnon follower fired a nine millimeter handgun into uh, the Portland courthouse. Uh, on, Why? It wasn't a drive by. It was a walk by. Um, <laughs> he was like walking by, fired the handgun and then just kept walking. What? Mm-hmm. Ballsy. I mean, uh, didn't even get a car. Yeah, uh, he fired internship from different congressmen. Uh, yeah, uh, he wanted to uh, quote wanted to get in front of the court for political and patriotic reasons, according to his attorney, public defender Brian Francesconi. To quote Brian, the lawyer. The unquestionable reality is he's an incredibly patriotic person who did what he believed was necessary as a part of his duties to this country based off his years of service. Um, He's on probation right now for firing multiple rounds into the courthouse, while anarchists who merely poured gasoline onto the courthouse or threw fireworks at it or lit the uh, wooden paneling on the courthouse on fire were sentenced to months, if not years, in prison. I mean... Pouring gasoline on the courthouse, not a good look. But shooting into a Firing multiple 9mm rounds. Also, (laughs) maybe a worse look. Maybe a worse look. (laughs) Uh, And finally, um, two of the men who have been in prison for uh, since, like, I think 1965 for the murder of Malcolm X were exonerated yesterday. And yet, the longest... Have you heard that the longest... Uh, held political prisoner in America uh, is a black man who was I read about this recently shit on I think No Name's No Name Book have you heard of No Name Book Club? I've not. Um, No Name is a rapper and activist that has a book club where she uh, communicates with people all around well it's primarily for black people and people of color and they read black literature together or like leftist literature and uh, they were talking recently about, what's his name? He's been in jail for like literally, I think, 60 years at this point, And he's the longest held American political prisoner. Anyway, I'm sorry. That just made me think of that. How are you exonerating people from the assassination of Malcolm X when there is a man that has been? Well, they were, they were found uh, not guilty. Uh, Rochelle McGee is the longest held uh, political prisoner in the U.S., having been locked up since 1963. No, these two guys, uh, the reason that they were released is because um, a motion, uh, to quote from the New York Times, a motion to vacate the convictions filed by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office said numerous FBI reports were never disclosed to the defense, including some that discussed that federal informants uh, were present in the ballroom where Malcolm X was killed. The documents suggest that the Bureau... On, the, uh, on Mr. Hoover's orders, that's J. Edgar, uh, purposefully kept information about its informants secret from the local authorities. So the, the quote is here, uh, Mr. Vance's review found no evidence that the killing was orchestrated by the government, but it also did not answer broader questions about the role of the federal government and the police in the assassination. Do you think the feds hired an outside assassin? Um, sound like something they um, Yeah, that... I I would believe fully believe that. Yeah. Um. Well. It, yeah. Essentially, it came to light that the reason these two guys were let off is because the FBI informants uh, are supposed to tell law enforcement that they're FBI informants, like legally speaking. 
And they had direct orders from J. Edgar Hoover not to disclose that information. And they didn't. Uh, so there were a bunch of FBI informants in the room and they didn't tell anybody. And that basically uh, made the uh, the sentence invalid because, yeah. So I might have missed. It's not really relevant to the episode. But how did it come out that, that they were like, did they review like the FBI released documents that validated that? That's a great question. Yes. Um, the FBI, uh, basically, yeah, the FBI had to release documents, including, uh, orders from J Edgar Hoover, uh, that, that released like, Oh, there were FBI informants there. Can't, uh, gotta let these guys out, which, you know, and these two guys were the, uh, uh, like, they were essentially sentenced as uh, accomplices, if, if I'm not mistaken, which I could be. So they never um, actually sentenced the actual assassin? No, uh, they did. That guy's still in prison. Okay. Two, two out of three guys. Yeah, essentially because of uh, a recent investigation by, by the Innocence Project, if I'm not mistaken. Muhammad Aziz and Khalil Islam, or Khalil Islam, I'm not sure, uh, maintained their innocence in it. And uh, it was revealed that the FBI fucking lied. Surprise, fucking surprise. And uh, they got let out, um, which like they they were wrongfully imprisoned because the FBI fucking lied. <laughs> On to the reading. After an extremely disorganized news segment from yours truly, let's discuss chapters three through five. Fuck. <laughs> well, as a bit of a preface, we we already know what a bit of these chapters are about. Chapter three is called Vietnam and the Emerging Boomer Identity. This, uh, so as we discussed last episode, chapter two blamed a lot of the boomers' childhood on their eventual rise to sociopathy. Um, this blames mishandling of Vietnam. Which I want to, we've, as we've read in ManCon, when we read Manufacturing Consent mm-hmm. on this podcast, Vietnam was already a shit show and a sham long before America, America got even got in the war, even initi- formally initiated war, let alone before boomers were involved. Um, the, the ways in which he mentions, I just think it's weird to blame mishandling of Vietnam on the people who were being drafted for it. Um, he basically says, well, and he actually talks about how, um, draft dodging, and- uh, he blames draft dodgers. He, he cites draft dodging as a sociopathic behavior. Um, which like, I don't know, maybe not the most honorable, but I get it. Uh, be- not wanting to die is a pretty basic human like instinct. And, the, uh, he cites draft dodging as, uh, a sociopathic behavior largely because like people of color and poor people and mm-hmm. poor people of color were largely the people who then got drafted mm-hmm. after, uh, white people who were going to college um, or just fleeing the country or fleeing or, the country or faking medical mm-hmm. stuff like shin splints or whatever uh, after like affluent largely white uh, after the affluent largely white young boomers uh, dodged he cites that as sociopathic which is not fucking unique to the baby boomers yeah like during the American Civil War which is one of the only other drafts that this country has had mm-hmm. um, there was a clause that allowed if you uh, if you just gave a donation to the army of a specific amount, 
you could be exonerated from the draft yeah. or exonerated. You could be exempt fuck from the draft. Like, yeah, I want to clarify. I'm not saying draft dodging is good or even neutral. It's not good, but like, well, it's not unique to boomers. I mean, everyone doesn't want to die. I don't think it's, I would also ex- say that fighting in Vietnam is so, like, Sig- is something that you shouldn't do. Yeah. I would say that the Vietnam yeah. war was objectively bad. Oh, he also points out that, oh, the only honorable way to draft dodge would be to um, be a conscientious objector. That's which, what he says. Weird yeah, thing which he says. He does, he does uh, acknowledge was really hard to be a conscientious mm-hmm. objector and had some, like, class limitations on it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. But, like, fuck off. Shelby, what are your thoughts on uh, the draft dodging Vietnam segment? I just felt like this chapter had so much internal conflict. Like it, it, it didn't have a clear statement on, I I don't know. I, I literally wrote a note when it was talking about uh, deserters that I don't fucking blame them. Like I just think it's sociopathic behavior and if I put myself in that position, I would probably feel the same way. Like, I don't think if, if we're talking about this in a, ter- in terms of like, it, does it demonstrate sociopathic behavior? I don't think it does not, but that is also to say that like from a white privilege perspective is maybe, is it sociopathic to, to exercise white privilege and dodge a draft that then exponentially affects people of color black and brown people like i i don't know what the right answer is i guess i mean yeah i guess that's kind of sociopathic i mean is it sociopathic or is it just protecting one's self-interest not all protections of one's self-interest are sociopathic that's a very like weighted term yeah i i like like you were saying i don't know what i would do in this situation i can't really judge or blame deserters for Vietnam was also he's constantly in this chapter he's trying to make Vietnam seem like it was just a little war like in comparison to all the wars America has had it wasn't that much bloodshed it didn't last that long we read about the Vietnam War it was uniquely horrible for Americans it wasn't a huge war but for the Vietnamese it was the ethnic cleansings anyway okay yeah like it was not just a little baby war and the things that were seen in that war not to mention the televising of it, which you think he was so upset about television before. He doesn't yeah, mention. he doesn't even touch that. Mm-hmm. He also talks, uh, he lends validity to domino theory. He says that domino theory was not entirely fictional, which like, like, dude, uh, my note was in all caps, fuck you. The U S was segregated. Yeah. <laughs> um, which it was, I think at the beginning of the involvement, but not for the whole thing. Anyway. Um, you, but like, um, explain that briefly because i'm not yeah Yeah. well in the cold war it was the theory that oh if one nation falls to the communists the rest will fall and it was like it'll infect the regions around it like um (laughs) which like the fact that he he with one hand validates red scare propaganda while with the other hand minimizing the crimes of uh, of, of the, the US he also only calls he he refers to um vietnamese forces as the uh viet cong which is not um, accurate which is not what they called themselves 
That's our name, name for, for them. them. Uh, but they were the National Liberation Front. Uh, that's what they called themselves. Um, uh, as Vietnam today calls that war the American War. And the way that he introduces the war is just so slimy. He's like, yeah, Vietnam's been fighting... Vietnam. Vietnam's been fighting for their independence for a long fucking time. Uh, France was in there. China was in there. The Russians were trying to be... And he's like... And so obviously America was understandably upset. Because domino theory. It's like, no! We never should have been there! But anyway, sorry. I'm getting hyper. I think... The most egregious part of this section for me was when he blamed uh, massacres like the My Lai Massacre on uh, the fact that the army was a draft army instead of a volunteer army. And because it was a draft army, it had less educated uh, recruits with less self-control. Oh, but don't forget, while pretending to be an activist, he does say that if it had been those white people that were initially drafted, the army would have been better trained. He indirectly implies that. Uh, And... So I'm going to directly compare this to the book Bring the War Home, The White Power Movement in Paramilitary America, Mm -hmm. which talks about the growth of neo-Nazi movements, the third wave of the Klan, and uh, like Christian identity and violent uh, evangelical Christian groups after Vietnam. Uh, Because those groups basically sprouted out of uh, the like generational trauma that Vietnam and other wars included as well as a direct punch back to the civil rights movement. Like it was a direct fucking uh, backlash to civil rights, but Vietnam veterans, especially white men uh, who tended toward upper middle class, but you know, as the draft, you know, you know how that works. Basically, that book posits that the reason there were so many massacres is because the United States was uniquely racist in that war on purpose. Essentially that U.S. Army culture in this period fostered a breed of racism, not just against uh, Vietnamese people, but against black soldiers in the army so that essentially Mm. not just as a backlash against the civil rights movement, which was, underway in this period, Mm -hmm. but as a way of dehumanizing the enemy. And so um, I think there's a a quote from this book, uh, which was, every battalion has their my lie. God. Uh, Which was a quote from an officer during the Vietnam War uh, who talked about how there were thousands of massacres like my lie or me lie. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but uh, that one is the one that got publicity. Mm because that's the one uh, that had a whistleblower, essentially. Yeah, I remember reading about that. Um, and Oh, no, no, it was, um, it was Manufacturing Consent that had that quote in it. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. But so this book posits, no, no, it was because of an intentionally fostered racist environment that led to these crimes, not because of like lower class soldiers. You. F- oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, this. <sighs> Go ahead. Does this like legitimize the kind the like fucking warped idea that Vietnam was a failure because these like less educated I'm using air quotes here um, rec- draftees 
tanked it like in, in some yeah. way that's that's part of the thing he posits yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this guy is so fucked up he's yeah. he uh i would say he is like this book is so ignorant it preaches technocracy yeah. uh a a rule by the people that he views to be most competent Mm-hmm. Uh, which essentially would be venture capitalists, venture like capitalists like himself. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, he literally again uh, proposes Elon Musk as like a gentleman scholar, which is the funniest shit I've ever read in my life. Absolutely not. Read his Twitter. Oh God. So he. So a couple of the things in this Vietnam chapter we have. He talks about draft dodgers. He talks about oh, the Vietnam War actually wasn't that bad for America comparatively. So why are y'all whining about it? Because um, this chapter is just basically saying Vietnam was the like wasn't a point at which the boomer generation established their identity and how they handled it. He'll get into yuppies in a minute. Uh, uh, um, the, uh, the yippies. Yippies, different thing. He also, um, one of his, I think this What's graph a is a yuppie is like a, uh, like a, um, Oh God, I hope it's not a slur for something. It's not. Um, <laughs> uh, a yuppie is a young person with a well-paid job and a fashionable lifestyle. I think of like country club people. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Yes, yes. While a while a yippie is, is a it? very different thing. It's an anarcho communist from the sixties, uh, from the seventies. Oh yeah. That's uh, Abby Hoffman was the head of the yippies for a while. That name's familiar. Uh, he was uh, one of the people tried in the oh trial in the, of the trial Chicago of the Chicago Seven. Seven. Yep. Um, he was a okay. super prominent activist um, and played by Sasha Baron Cohen. Anyway, uh, the next section of this chapter discusses is called drunken disorderly boomers in uniform. Where he blames uh, the increased consumption of alcohol. Oh my god, he seems like a Puritan a lot of the time. He's like, no TV, more spankings, less booze, stop cheating on your wife. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm talking to my pastor sometimes. Which, um, I feel um, like maybe he's imparting a lot of his like insecurities or like mommy and daddy issues yeah. <laughs> into this book. <laughs> He's like, my dad was a cheating, drinking son of a bitch, and you're all just the same. Every single boomer. Which, again, uh, soldiers drinking? Not new. Not new. Uh, Actually, uh, in the 18th century, Mm. uh, British army rations included one cup of whiskey per day. Hell yeah, brother. It It was a pound of flour, a pound of meat, and one cup, like a measuring cup, of whiskey per day. Uh, and that was your rations. Uh, like, like a lot of bread with that. Uh, well, you had to make your own bread too uh, at the campfire. But the um, soldiers would riot not when the meat ran out, not when the flour ran out, <laughs> when the whiskey ran out. That's when the soldiers would riot. Um, like soldiers drinking a shitload to get through a war not is true. maybe the oldest phenomena, like one of the oldest phenomena in human history. And this man acts like he discovered, like Vietnam was the first war where soldiers got drunk. Yeah. And the, he also says, oh, and a large amount of them were also consuming marijuana at this time too. Just, just so you know. Do you know why prostitutes are called hookers? No. Do tell. Because of General Henry Hooker during the American Civil War, who allowed his soldiers to visit brothels while on campaign. To keep morale up. Hell yeah. Like, listen, I'm pro sex work. <laughs> Prostitute is the oldest profession in the world. Yep. And 
Yeah. Like, like yeah, my soldier. biggest question is like, did he pay them well? Like that's that's, that's true. I we think the soldiers know. had to pay them. Not he did not pay the prostitutes. I think the no. There was a contract from Hooker <laughs> that went to the brothel. It was a monthly stipend <laughs> for the amount of customers they brought in. Any whoozle. Um, <laughs> oh, I do have uh, one other thing uh, that is completely and utterly nightmarish. Yes. This, I think, is cited in chapter two, but he balances one of his studies that he cites. Uh, he talks about how the, site, uh, the study is balanced for IQ. And he says this as if it's a good thing. IQ is also not a... Continue. So, so mm-hmm. well, uh, for those of us who are not aware, um, IQ was first invented as, in 1905 as a way of weeding out uh, mentally challenged French schoolboys, essentially. I'm sorry, could you say that again? So IQ was invented, or first, it was first put into practice in 1905 in France as a way of identifying which schoolboys were mentally challenged and weeding them out. It was yeah, instrumental that, that sounds right. in the forced sterilization programs instituted by the United States in the 30s. Uh, basically, basically women who had IQ scores that were below a standard DV or below like the standard that they set were sterilized against their, against their knowledge often and against their consent. If they did know like IQ is like phrenology of the 20th century, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, advanced, like advanced placement race science. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was used for eugenics for, you know, 50 years in the United States. And now there are some psychologists who claim that IQ tests, given that they've had, you know, 120 years to uh, make them not the way that they were in 1905, claim that they're now okay. They're, they still skew wildly depending on class and background. Uh, yeah, like perform that? Like, I, I, I don't think so yeah it's, like the, so the much that, of modern medicine is still fucking eugenics correct like, bmi is eugenics and it was also a determination for fucking health insurance companies to make insurance it has nothing to do with like physical health <laughs> oh i'm so glad i'm so glad i'm so excited for uh the section that is coming but yeah basically uh, i just wanted to say that like the fact that he cites something as balanced for iq as being a good thing mm. uh the fact that this man goes oh yeah i believe in iq <laughs> red flag red flag moving on well, I think that this pretty much covers chapter three, which sets up Viet. Well, they go into a little bit. We don't really have to touch on. It. They just go into the the legacy of Vietnam and how that affects the boomers' identity and their ego and what le- what that legacy is and what they made that legacy to be. Um, what it was like. Uh, I I just have one note that kind of. Uh, just is so telling about the r- amount and depth of research that this that Bruce did or lack thereof. Um, it, it's in this uh, this chapter. Drug use infiltrated military culture. While estimates vary, heroin affected many troops from four percent to twenty two percent. That's a fucking huge margin. Like, which is it? Yeah, which is it? That's it's either four in a hundred or twenty two in a hundred. That like if it's twenty two in a hundred, that's rampant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just his. Also, the writing is not enormously clear. 
because he could he could be referring to growth over time. Mm. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, he. We don't know. That's true. Um, we don't know because he doesn't like state outright. It's cherry picking. He's looking for a big fancy number to like put next to his argument. I just think it's so stupid. But on the note of his writing, I do want to mention briefly. He, I think the reason this book got so much traction when it was first published is just because, here's the thing, I don't think he's very funny, but I can see how people that already believe his viewpoint or that are want, re, have reason to believe what he's espousing would think he's fucking hilarious. Like, it's full of one-liners. It is, again, a pop, what you said, a pop culture book. It's like a yeah. pop social book. So it's, you can go ahead. No, 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 not yet. Um, he, he's got a sense of humor. It just reads as so der- der- derisive to me. Is that the right word? Yeah. Like the book is, I was recommended actually. I went to the strand to get mm-hmm. my copy and it was on, it was like on display recommended by one of the employees at, from the strand. Yeah, it's making a resurgence. This yeah. fucking book is making a resurgence, which is absolutely cursed people think it's funny i did i might have laughed like in the there in the foreword or in the intro when before i like was realized and what it was going to be but i have not laughed since it's i haven't had a laugh at this book in weeks (laughs) same It's just, he, if you are a Gen Xer already of this persuasion, you're going to laugh your ass off. Yeah, if, if already, it validates yeah. your current worldview, sure, maybe it's funny, but because we have such uh, differing worldviews from what he's trying to posit here, it's just bleak. It's just, oh, yikes. Um, yeah, he gets the award for being funnier than Steven Crowder. Which is possibly the lowest bar I can find. <laughs> uh, oh gosh! Well, as we say, yeah. So there are. There's a couple jokes that you're like, huh? I can see that's what this did well. Yeah. There's a couple jokes that I'm like, oh, are you sure about that? Are you sure? Oh. Yeah. Um, but moving on to chapter four, um, I just wanted to mention. Yes, it's not. It's not god awful to read, at least. It, from the perspective of the actual writing, like the, the viewpoints being espoused kind of got awful at some points, but the writing could be worse. Um, chapter four, Empire of Self. I just want, the one thing I want to touch on and then I'll let y'all fucking mm-hmm. run free. He talks about how, oh, the, so everyone comes back from Vietnam. Now boomers are actually entering power. Boomers are actually taking control. And what do they do? They squander their responsibility with drugs and sex and selfishness. I I got to this chapter and I thought to myself, how long before he gets to Abby Hoffman? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I, yeah, on that note, he he both like calls out hippies and yippies. Yeah, the the yippies, which Mm -hmm. were essentially... Uh, The way that he talks about hippies is not entirely inaccurate as like essentially... Uh, a rebellious movement of drug use, sexual liberation, uh, and like personal freedom as a response to the tightwad culture of fifties mm-hmm. America. But the, uh, the hippie movement was super white and very divorced from the civil rights movement, which was occurring mm-hmm. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. The yippie movement emerged as a bridge between those two as an actively anti-capitalist, uh, like 
pro black liberation hippie movement. And, uh, like Abby Hoffman after the trial of the Chicago seven was tailed by the FBI for the rest of his life. Like, well, I just agree. Um, but I, and so he doesn't really take into account the fact that a lot of yippies were, you know, activists. That's what their whole thing was. The um, yippies were activists. The yippies, not the hippies. Yeah. The, there's no nuance. It's just equating all what he perceives to be counterculture as a big lump of all the same people with the same views and, and goals. And mm-hmm. it, it really fails to provide any nuance. So like, I didn't, I didn't know about the yippies and I, uh, I didn't Google it, unfortunately. And now I feel dumb because I like kind of fell into his trap of like equating all of these people as, as the same when they, there were like major ideological differences. Oh yeah. Well, he, it's funny. Cause uh, this bounces off what you were saying. He, uh, when it comes to equating people as the same, he doesn't just do it with the hippies and the yippies. He does it with the hippies, the yippies and the hawks. He says the right wingers were also hedonistic and selfish and like he's everyone that's a boomer is under attack here, whether you're left, whether you're right. And it calls back to what he said in in the introduction in the foreword. He says the only thing, the thing that I really agreed with before I realized what he was getting at was when he said, oh, yeah, the people that are in power right now, they might have marginal differences, but in the end, they're the same. It's, do you want your authoritarian in blue or do you want your authoritarian in red? Like, do you want the national debt to increase 5 trillion or 13 trillion? And I was like, oh yeah, that's true. There is no real difference between Democrats and Republicans. We've talked about that before on this podcast, but he doesn't see any nuance at all between even the yippies and the war hawks and the young Republicans in the 70s. That's like there's no room. I just yeah, like, I'm not going to be able to co- cogently end this point. And but. what's what's so enraging about this is this is the period where the like deranged right that we're we all know today. Mm. Uh, no one hate baby. The like the cultural ancestors of the Oklahoma City bombing, and then later of the Proud Boys and the base and uh, fucking Adam Waffen are born where like uh, there's uh, it's in the seventies and uh, bring the war home talks about it uh, where there was an official, I believe it was an Aryan nations like annual conference where David Duke's Ku Klux Klan and the representatives of like uh, several evangelical Southern churches were present and they basically formed the coalition that would become the Republican party in like 2016 like they formed the hate coalition that would later a lead to the Oklahoma city, but like the right is born in this period. Uh, and he talks, he references briefly uh, Vietnam veterans being spat on when they returned from the war, which is a myth mm. uh, that, that like if it happened was so rare as to never have been documented but what it was was a recruiting tool by the Aryan nations and the third Ku Klux Klan. Oh, who, of like a victimization tactic of these who, white soldiers returning, needing to feel like they've somehow been wronged out of whatever. White soldiers who were wronged by the imperial machine. By the American government, yeah. Uh, returned home, having been indoctrinated with racial hatred by 
on purpose by like the American military machine Mm -hmm. came home and then were told by neo-Nazis and Klansmen, uh, the left is spitting on you. The commies hate you. This country doesn't value you, but we, we respect you. Like, and like that was like the seed of the militant right that led to the Oklahoma city bombing in the fucking nineties. Like, and he completely fucking uh, disregards, he equates war hawks and yippies as the same idea, as the same, like, entitled personality, which is, first, enraging, and second, insidious. Yeah. I'll get I, off the phone. I don't know if he, he is trying, I feel like he... He, he was intending to stay neutral or trying to trying to portray like a neutral tone and he absolutely is doing the opposite mm-hmm. he uh, i don't know he just comes but for everyone from a completely ignorant point of view too he's just like you're all shit <laughs> he positions himself as like an apolitical like liberal centrist mm-hmm. when in reality he is about as like he's a reactionary conservative as are most uh fucking venture capitalists uh he's just like you know he's he's posing the definitely uh non-biased not racist gospel of capitalism yeah i mean he's kind of like the the human embodiment of the that meme that's going around of like the airplane dropping missiles with with a pride flag on it like yeah Yeah. you actually reminded me of something that i was thought while i was reading this um like he's two two sides of the same coin he's either like all like he's very pro-capitalist he's very pro America as a whole, like American legacy, like the greatness of America, what American greatness could be in quotes and air quotes. Mm -hmm. But this also reads to me at times like a hyper, like a quote unquote hyper intellectual incel. Like he's kind of a conspiracy theorist, sort of like it's lead poisoning and not enough titty that turned this whole generation. (laughs) (laughs) It's a raving maniac. And it's, oh, they were having too much sex and they were on LSD in the 70s. This chapter mentions LSD use. It just occurred to me that he doesn't talk about women. Oh, never. He's straight up. Just- oh, well, we'll get to that in this chapter when we talk about abortion. Oh, oh God. Yeah. He points to increased abortion rates he- as a sign of... Of sociopathy. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not uh, the fact... <sighs> The fact that abortion is like legal now and and moral and, and also that maybe prior to this point there weren't reliable statistics about abortion because it was nobody's gonna back alleys with clothes hangers uh, and yeah. like the what if there were death reportings they weren't gonna fucking put that on a death certificate like not to mention there's multiple reasons that people have abortions that don't point to just being selfish and self-interested and increased to, and prone to increased like in less inhibitions. I am not speaking right, but like you guys are like, oh, more abortions means more sex means bad without like no nuance. I think again, fucking. Ugh. He also he points to this uh, uh, to demonstrate that boomers weren't using uh, prophylaxis. 
prophylactics, I think. Uh, yeah, prophylactic. Yeah, that, that they weren't using condoms, which is another enraging. Uh, Why does that mean sociopath? Yeah. I mean, I get it. You're not preparing for the future or whatever, but there's no there's no reason to draw between those two points a line. No condom equal no no prepare for a future. Equal yeah, he sociopath. literally goes from like this chapter saying people aren't wearing condoms to this is why they are in debt. Fucking <laughs> without condoms, they're getting abortions and no one has life savings anymore. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry that a house is no longer $10,000. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, and this is also the chapter where he talks about obesity, right? Oh. Yeah, in me, myself, and I. Is. Oh God. Yeah, where he talks about... Um, I think it was uh, the momentary pleasure of saturated fats. He says it's something along those lines. Failures and impulse control also manifested in gluttony. As American travelers know, then Europeans, uh, this might not be relevant. Relatively few adults were obese before the 1960s, about one in 10. Since then, also obese is a slur, but that's another. Uh, oh, that's well, good to know. Good I to know. Remove that from my vocabulary. <laughs> Um, Since then, adult obesity has been increasing with a sharp rise from 12.7% in the late 1970s to 36.4% in 2011 to 2014. Younger generations are also now heavy with the shift occurring in the 80s and 90s, though there have been some recent improvements. Um, it's, It's just so... I don't know, to use an intellectual term, fucked up, to be moralizing the human body as a result of sociopathy and not looking at what we know now is, is it's genetic. Your weight is, is this, it's the same as your height. It's the correlation. It's all genetics. So if you want to lay blame on a generation for having fat kids blame the greatest generation Mm. but also what you're looking at is a demographic of people that we're living if we're looking at the greatest generation quote unquote it's people living in the depression where like food security was much different and you're going to be more like genetically more inclined to retain weight Mm -hmm. if your the body of your ancestor was deprived nutrition i actually read an article about that how like babies that were gestating inside of um, mothers that didn't get enough food would have slower metabolisms just because they were born to uh, this could be wrong again i'm to they were born and expected to receive the environment their mother was receiving while they were in the womb. So yeah, it's, and I mean, if you like biologically a person with a uterus, if like a pregnant person with a baby inside also has all of the eggs that that baby will ever have in their lifetime, you are developed with all of the eggs that you'll ever have. So my grandmother's pregnancy could impact me as as my mother's egg and and on and on and on and on so to say like it's just diet choices it's just greediness it's just gluttony is just it's diet culture propaganda and it's also completely scientifically false Mm -hmm. and it's also not bad for you to be fat 
Exactly. People die from all of the exact same issues that fat people die from. And there's actually more recent research that states that people that have a few extra pounds on them are, are actually live longer on average, live several years longer. So, um, so there, fuck you. Uh, there's also, um, at least from some of the things that I've read and, and I would, I, I'm glad I get to talk to you about this because it would, you know, uh, I'm sure you'll be able to lend some uh, light to the situation. Uh, but the, basically the deregulation of American food essentially. And the, like the fact that food is not in fact, always a choice. Uh, there are food deserts in the United States where, um, basically the only foods that are available are foods that are really high in, um, oh God, uh, like, uh, saturated fats and what have you. But mm-hmm. like, you know, th- there's the like elitism around food, which dates back to 17th century, 18th century Europe. Uh, and there's, but like the fact that a lot of other nations, which have, you know, have very different legislative processes on food, like different restrictions on what fucking preservatives and chemicals can you put in food? America has a very laissez-faire approach to that sort of thing. Is there, uh, do you know if there's any research to, uh, I've read a little, but I, I think. Yeah, that I'm, I don't know much about, but I mean, there are fat people in food deserts and there are thin people in food deserts and it's the kind of, uh, this like hypocritical thing of you see a thin woman eating a bunch of burgers and it's somehow funny and entertaining. But if a fat person does the same thing, it's like mortifying. Yeah. I'm not saying this based on any research I've done. I'm just kind of like making, like tying the two ideas together. If, if we're looking at weight genetically and we look at a nation that is like Denmark, which is likely much thinner, they probably have much like different regulations on food for decades that would be impacting health statistics today. So whereas the United States has probably in the past been like the wild, wild West. It is still going, we're going to see much different health outcomes and, and size differences. And also like we're much more like ethnically diverse Sorry, my cat is now talking. I apologize for this baby. <laughs> he has something to say. Um, like, yeah, mom, you tell him. But like to say like the U.S. is a fatter nation than Denmark, it's like, well, fucking obviously we have way more people and way more different body types and people coming from generations and generations of different genetic histories. It's just not something that can be neatly tied in a bow and, and like explained if you want to ascribe like you know like it is not a moral failure no that's what's in total like uh, just to bring it into the text as a yeah. whole and like round out this chapter because i have a feeling we should maybe end the episode here we should yeah. maybe maybe we'll do four episodes each section because this we, we have a lot to say yeah. <laughs> um but to round it out he's drawing this false correlative between being eating a lot or not even eating a lot, but presenting as being a large person yeah. and sin. Like just, he's drawing it's, this like 
oh, if you do this, it means you are selfish and prone to inhibition, which is like a horrible fucking It's puritanical, yes. Yeah. Everything in this chapter, Empire of Self, is basically just him being, me saying, okay, boomer, to the guy saying, okay, boomer. It's him hand-wringing about the moral failures. Yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, doing drugs means you're selfish and is an evidence of sociopathy. Getting divorced, selfish evidence of sociopathy. Having an active sex life, selfish evidence of sociopathy. Abortion. Our, I I don't know, our generation, you... Oh man, are you too Gen Z? Yeah. We're technically I'm technically a millennial. I was born in 95. I'm like right on the cusp. Uh, but I we would see that as increased freedom. As, oh, as I'm so glad you said it. Yep. Self ability, you know, and this is Colin where the point that you made of like he doesn't talk about women. Maybe the rising divorce rates mean that one women are employed outside of the home and have more economic power than they did previously that could allow them to potentially leave an abusive husband and not be chained to an abusive relationship because they cannot get out of it. How is that sociopathic? And then he like decries that the, the think of the children thing for staying together is like fucked up and antiquated, but then he's also criticizing rising divorce rates. It's like, well, what's, not to mention this was also a period of like increased visibility for homosexual people and bisexual people who were escaping relationships they'd been forced into because, because of, of public perception. Yeah. There were a lot yeah. of reasons people would want to get divorced that they hadn't been able to in the past. Compet, yeah. Compet, fucking also the, rape and marriage. There was a like podcast I listened to that uh reframed don't think of a divorce as a failed marriage. Think of it as a successful divorce. Yeah. <laughs> Your relationship was not fucking working. So it, you ended it instead of staying together for 45 years and being fucking miserable That's until a- you're buried side by side. That's a like- good thing. <laughs> and then he ta- he does this where he's like, well, rising divorce rates, sociopathic. But then he isn't like, well, how did this impact the, the following, the Gen X? Yeah. How did this impact the children of boomers? Would they say that their parents' divorce was a, pos- a net positive? I would say like, despite you know, I don't know, childhood trauma, whatever, relation, instability. Seeing your parents happy separately versus seeing them together miserable is generally a net positive. Uh, I'm not yes, I agree. Solid agree. Speak to this personally. We're, we're both children of divorce in that exact same situation. <laughs> check me on whether, you know. No, you you're right. <laughs> you're correct. <laughs> Uh, but yes, in total, this chapter is puritanical based on complete conjecture. He doesn't even regard how it affects his own generation. Oh my okay, God. Gen X. Okay, Xer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is what we're moving toward. Okay, Xer. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, X, X. I didn't uh, expect a gossip girl. Standing up for the boomers this much, but here we are. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I, mean I guess like person things that are irritating about the boomers to generalize are not this. Evidence? Not this. So like getting mad at people in the Starbucks line. Like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe that's a little sociopathic. <laughs> but it's not. Yeah, I hope I hope he talks about stand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Like I, I would be excited to see his take on the mistreatment of minimum wage workers. I would be really excited to see the take of a venture capitalist on the mistreatment of. Uh, <laughs> what do you have to say about the worker shortage? Oh, mm, oh nothing good. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 maybe we'll see. Uh, I haven't time. even seen if he's on Twitter. No, I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. Is he? Did you look? No, I don't know, but I, I uh, let's. Uh, okay. Bruce Cannon Gibney. He's going to look that up while I wind this down. Next time on Getting Informed, a Left to Slip podcast, um, let's say for now that we'll cover chapters five through eight. So we will be covering science and sentimentality, yes. disco, and the roots of neoliberalism. Oh, what? fuck, yeah. We're going to talk disco. The Boomer Ascendancy, and then simply titled Taxes. But they're checking out Bruce Cannon Gibney's Twitter now. Uh, I don't think he has a Twitter, um, but uh, the account The Agency Review, which is, I guess, like a a, a weekly book review, has been tweeting about him nonstop for weeks, uh, just like hyping this book up, which is really weird. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Shelby. Who have you been this week? I have been Shelby Sola, she, her, hers. And you can find me on Twitter tweeting about capybaras and nice um, fat liberation. Nice. And I don't know, whatever stream of consciousness things come to my mind at Shelby Sola. Mm -hmm. That's just my name. Delicious. Um, I have been the post-it note you put over your laptop camera so you can jerk it in peace. My name is Al Gropey, <laughs> she, her, hers, kind of. And you can find me on Instagram at al.grows, that's G-R-O-S, or on my website at alisongropey.com. Colin, who the hell have you been? I've been Colin Orton, he, him, his. You can find me at my name on Twitter. You can find me at the 13 colonies, spelled like my name on Instagram because I think I'm really funny. Uh, you can follow this podcast at Leftist Lit Pod on Twitter or send us hate mail at gettinginformedpod at gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Don't, don't read this book. Don't, oh, just, you know listen, just listen to us. Let's have a last minute. I have a last minute trip to the Scamalier. Oh yeah, 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 so, yeah. This is a bit we do where well, it's time for a trip to the Scamalier, where I recommend. That's a song now. That, I've been saying that in my head this whole time. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> this is where I recommend media either to read instead or to read alongside the yeah. book. Yeah. Um. Something to read instead of a generation of sociopaths. <laughs> Anything, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it was a book recommended by the No Name Book Club that I have on my list now. That they they post reviews and they like do discussions yeah. that they post. Let me figure figure out what it was. Well. Actually, what I wanted to plug, and now I'm like, oh, I should plug something more intellectual. What I wanted to plug is the play Chicken and Biscuits, which I actually saw last night, which is just a prime example of black joy across generations and of like a black family dynamic. It was beautiful. It was wonderfully staged. And it is a lot more nuanced and entertaining than this piece of garbage we're reading. So if you're in New York, go see Chicken and Biscuits. I'll look for that no-name books one, and maybe we can publish it in the notes. Yeah. I would read Bring the War Home, The White Power Movement in Paramilitary America. Nice. If you are interested in an actual uh, critique of the growth of, like, deranged fascists Mm. during the boomer generation 
uh, and like an actual, you know, something that discusses actual pertinent issues instead of this fucking nonsense. Yeah. You have anything uh, you'd suggest, Shelby? Um, I would watch Dope Sick on Hulu. I just finished it, and it is about the opioid crisis, and it oh, directly blames the fucking Sackler family. As it should. Um, and... Yeah, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I'm like kind of like proximity, uh, proximity very close to like West Virginia where it's taking place. Um, so it hit close to home and it's a mini series. It's like pretty easily digestible. It's really worth the watch. Badass. Hell yeah. And that has been a trip to the Scamalier. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week.